Hi everyone, welcome to a special edition of Newsbeat. I'm Rashad Mian, Managing Editor of Newsbeat, and your host for the day. Today we're also releasing a traditional Newsbeat episode containing musical beats and hip-hop verses titled Land of the Rich, Home of the Poor, so you can find that on your feed. But we also wanted to spend some time discussing with several special guests an important post-9-11 topic that re-emerged in recent days, and that's torture. So let's get started. Last week, President Trump fired, via tweet, his Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and announced plans to replace the former oil tycoon with Mike Pompeo, the current CIA director. Trump's pick to fill Pompeo's vacancy will be Gina Haspel, a 33-year veteran at the CIA. Even prior to any Senate confirmation hearing, Haspel has been met with swift criticism because of her role in the Bush administration's rendition and torture program during the so-called War on Terror, which we're still fighting. Of course, many of the details regarding Haspel's time at the CIA are shrouded in secrecy. To discuss the implications of a CIA headed by Gina Haspel, we invited two individuals who saw firsthand how torture became government policy after 9-11. In our second segment, we'll speak with Laura Pitter of Human Rights Watch, who will discuss the legality of the defunct torture program. Right now, we have with us John Kiriakou, a former CIA analyst who blew the whistle on America's torture program and served time in prison. Kiriakou recently penned a widely read piece in the Washington Post titled, I went to prison for disclosing the CIA's torture. Gina Haspel helped cover it up. We also have Mark Fallon, a former NCIS special agent who after 9-11 was named Deputy Commander of the Criminal Investigation Task Force, which was charged with investigating Al-Qaeda terror suspects. Fallon has a new book out called Unjustifiable Means, the inside story of how the CIA, Pentagon, and U.S. government conspire to torture. Both men have previously appeared on Newsbeat, so be sure to listen to their episodes if you haven't already. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. John, uh, so let's start with you. Um, you know, many Americans have heard a lot about torture. Uh, maybe they read the 2014 Senate Intelligence Committee report. But before we get to Gina Haspel, can you remind people about the origins of post-9-11 torture and why the Bush administration leaned so heavily on it? Yes. Um, in the immediate aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, Osama bin Laden made a statement uh, in, a, in a recorded uh, cassette tape that uh, he was planning an operation that would dwarf 9-11. And the CIA took that very seriously. You know, we viewed the 9-11 attacks as the worst intelligence failure in American history. We had let the American people down. There were 3,000 dead Americans because we couldn't disrupt that attack. And so we took the threat very seriously. Uh, With that said, a decision was made very early on in the process, just weeks after the, the attacks that we were going to, uh, to use words that I heard bandied around the building, get tough with uh, prisoners that we expected to begin catching soon after. Abu Zubaydah uh, was the first major counterterrorism capture in the so-called war on terror. We believed quite mistakenly that he was the number three in Al-Qaeda. In fact, not only was he the, not the number three, but he, he was never actually in Al-Qaeda. Uh, He was certainly a bad guy who had worked with al-Qaeda, but he didn't have the information on future attacks that we thought he would have. But like I say, the the decision was made early on in October of 2011 to start torturing people. And so the CIA came up with a list of what they called enhanced interrogation techniques, what many of the rest of us call torture techniques. 
and they uh, pushed those techniques through the, the approval process here in Washington. They first went to the National Security Council for comment. Uh, it was approved. It went to the Justice Department uh, for comment. It was approved by the Office of Special Counsel there, back to the White House for the NSC lawyers to chop on it, and then finally to the President for his signature. And, the, and President George W. Bush uh, did approve those techniques. Finally, Abu Zubaydah, uh, we, we captured him in Pakistan in late March 2002. He was flown to a secret site. And uh, once the CIA was able to wrest primacy from the FBI for his interrogation, uh, that was August 1st, 2002, the torture began that day. And, uh, and Mark, like John Kiraku, you came across government officials and members of the military who sort of, let's say, didn't want to perform interrogations above board, like yourself and your team. In, in your book, you write that uh, Guantanamo was forcing you to, quote, expend energy protecting the people you wanted to see prosecuted. Can you talk about what you witnessed as an investigator at Guantanamo Bay after 9-11 and how uh, you reacted to the sudden change in U.S. policy when it came to interrogations? Yes. Uh, you, you know, the CIA had determined early on that they were going to utilize torture as an instrument of, of national policy, as an instrument of war. Uh, just recently, uh, a, a friend of mine, Jason Leopold, uh, with, with BuzzFeed, uh, he just released some FOIA documents that he had obtained, uh, and, and I'm looking right now at a, uh, a draft draft correspondence from the CIA that has been released and declassified, uh, and Jason has uh, provided this to me. And this is from November 26, 2001, uh, and it says, a policy decision must be made with regard to U.S. use of torture in light of our obligations under international law. With consideration given to the circumstances and to the international opinions on our current campaign against terrorists, states may be very unwilling to call the U.S. to task for torture when it results in, th in saving thousands of lives. And, and so even prior to the capture of Abu Zubaydah, policy decisions were being made to utilize torture as an instrument of national power. That, that, that correspondence was from the 26th of November, 2001. Uh, and, and so shortly after 9-11, decisions were made based on fear, based on ignorance, and based on arrogance. Um, and, and while the CIA was implementing their EIT program, which I consider an excuse to inflict torture program, uh, when I saw those techniques gravitating or migrating, metastasizing at Guantanamo Bay, when an attorney from the CIA come down, uh, to Guantanamo Bay uh, in, in the summer of 2002 um, to actually explain how the program worked, to explain waterboarding, to explain how suffocation would make someone feel as if they were going to die. It's when I decided that I had to take a stand because it didn't matter what anyone in the CIA was authorized to do. I work for the Department of Defense and we operated by a different set of rules and people operated under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So, so even if it was approved, and I don't think the approval was lawful in the CIA, this was not something that could have been approved in the Department of Defense. Mark, you paint a scene in your book where some high-level officials arrived to Guantanamo Bay. You thought that you would have an opportunity to speak with them about detainees and interrogation, but it seemed like you were completely shut out. Is that when you sort of knew that the policies had changed for, I guess, the worst, in your opinion? Yeah, in, in, in the business, uh, it's called cover for action. Right? And, and so what I saw was a plane full of lawyers 
uh, were coming down to Guantanamo Bay in the heat of debates uh, over the methods that we should do an interrogation, uh, an investigative interview of a detainee named Mohammed Al-Qahtani, who was destined to be well, the 20th hijacker uh, for the 9-11 hijackings. Uh, and, and so as we were going down a road on how to best elicit both evidence and intelligence from Qahtani, uh, the generals at Guantanamo wanted to adopt the same methods that the CIA was using because the CIA was purporting that those methods were highly effective, that they were producing reliable information, they were producing actionable, actionable intelligence uh, based on those interrogations of Abu Zubaydah primarily. Uh, and I knew that not to be the case. Um, I had worked with the CIA for years. Uh, Full-time career employees of the CIA had helped me design my interrogation training program based on rapport-based approaches because we knew those to be the effective ones. Uh, and so the CIA wound up outsourcing the methodology to use the SEER program, uh, which was a program designed uh, based on the manner in which our service members were abused. Uh, and, and so in September of 2002, when I saw a plane heading down to Guantanamo uh, that included uh, Alberto Gonzalez, which was the president's lawyer, David Addington, the vice president's lawyer, Michael Chertoff from the Department of Justice in the criminal division, uh, Jim Haynes, who was Donald Rumsfeld lawyer, and a number of other lawyers, I knew nothing good could come of that. Uh, they, they, what they said was they were coming down to Guantanamo to obtain a status on the cases against the Al-Qaeda terror suspects, which I was running out of Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Uh, and so there was no need to travel down to Guantanamo Bay because I was in Washington and briefing the Pentagon twice a week on the results of those investigations. Uh, and so when I saw the plane heading down there, I flew down there myself uh, because I just thought this was uh, inexperienced lawyers who knew nothing about national security, knew nothing about interrogations. And I thought that they were going to be uh, fooled into thinking the program was effective. Never in that day did I imagine uh, that ba back in November, uh, the, the U.S. government was actually making decisions to utilize torture. Uh, and, and so my goal at the time, as an as a, uh, interrogation professional, someone who was involved in the investigation after the attack of the USS Cole, involved in the operation against the blind Sheikh Omar al-Darachman in the first World Trade Center attack. So I've been working al-Qaeda with the Joint Terrorism Task Force uh, and with the CIA for years, since, since the 90s. And, and so I just thought these were these were people who were going to be fooled into making a decision that was unwise and that would jeopardize the national security. Uh, unfortunately, the program was already implemented and widespread by the time those lawyers came there. And John, the reason obviously we're, br uh, we're bringing up torture again is because of the uh, nomination of Gina Haspel as CIA director. At the same time President Trump announced Mike Pompeo as his choice to be the next Secretary of State, he named his new pick to lead the agency, veteran CIA undercover officer Gina Haspel. Haspel has been with the agency for more than 30 years. She was once investigated by the Justice Department for destroying videotapes of interrogations at a secret prison she oversaw in Thailand. It appears that your careers intersected at the CIA. Uh, what was her reputation like when you were at the agency? Yeah, our careers did intersect briefly in uh, 2002. She was actually a very highly regarded, highly respected professional operations officer. She wasn't particularly political, at least not when I first met her. 
But with that said, she was well known as the protege of Jose Rodriguez. At the time, the director of the CIA's counterterrorism center, he went on to become the deputy director of the CIA for operations. And uh, he's also known as, as the godfather, the founder of the CIA's torture program. It was Gina who became Jose's chief of staff uh, when he was the head of CTC. She went on to some of the, the most plum assignments, the most highly sought after assignments in the entire CIA, and then came back to replace Jose in an acting capacity as the deputy director for operations. The, the problem that I have with Gina Haspel, and she's a perfectly lovely person, is that she decided to jump in on the wrong side of history. Gina Haspel, like so many other officers, had the opportunity to say no, to say this is wrong, it's illegal, it's unethical, it's immoral, and she didn't do that. And so my position is that we all make decisions in our lives that have consequences. God knows I have. But she has to face the consequences of her actions as well. You know, I think it's wonderful that the president wants to name a woman as CIA director. Really wonderful. The CIA has been led by white men for the last 71 years. But there are easily 50 women across government who could be CIA director. Gina Haspel ought not to be that woman. And, uh, and John, we know as of this recording that several media organizations have had to correct or even retract stories about Haspel's role in torture. Um, what does appear to be correct is she did oversee for some time a black site in Thailand, uh, allegedly where a second captive, not Abu Zubaydah, uh, another captive, was waterboarded. Right. Yes. And we also know that she drafted the cable ordering the destruction of the torture tapes. Um, so in your view, as you mentioned, does that disqualify her to be director of the agency? I think that's really the, the core of my point. I think that those actions do disqualify her to be director of the agency. We need somebody who's going to respect the law and respect the Constitution, not to push the envelope so far that she has to be told when something is, is unethical or illegal. She should, have, she should have put her foot down. If she was as close to Jose as she was supposed to have been, she should have said, Jose, this is wrong and we shouldn't be doing it. And they never had that conversation. And, and Mark, what's your assessment of uh, Haspel as a potential CIA director? Yeah, t t totally unfit. Uh, anyone in a position uh, as she was, and the public record is quite clear from the congressional hearings uh, that have occurred so far in the Senate Select Committee of Intelligence report. Uh, you know, w people who were torture apologists, history revisionists, pe people who are in positions, as John said, that could have made a difference. Uh, just because even that you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. Uh, so, so if she was in such a position, th th there's, th there's no way that she should be the director of the CIA. And let me tell you what Mitchell and Jessen, uh, the contractors, who they brought in to actually implement this program. Contractors, by the way, that had no experience in legitimate interrogations, no experience in the Middle East, nor with Al-Qaeda, uh, but, but, but they, they were brought to, to civil suit uh, by the ACLU uh, for the death uh, of one detainee and the torture of two others, for the death uh, of Ghul Rockman, who died in a dark, dank uh, torture chamber of the CIA, naked from the waist down. Uh, and, and, in their, and in their lawsuit and their filings, uh, Mitchell and Jessen argued that they shouldn't be held liable because they conducted f their work for the CIA uh, and they sought to, to depose Gina Haspel to help prove their claim. 
Uh, and, in, and in their filings, they said Ms. Haspel was certainly involved in the events alleged in the lawsuit. Uh, and, and the CIA and Gina Haspel opposed that uh, and elected not to and fought her disposition in that case, which was eventually settled. And Mark, since a lot of this information about Haspel's possible connection to torture remains obscured, does this underscore for you the importance of declassifying details about her career, especially uh, in light of potential Senate confirmation? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 100%. The, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence conducted a, a six-year investigation, uh, and, and they reviewed, and, and it's publicly available to review the actual cables about what went on at some of these sites. Beginning with the first detainee, Abu Zubaydah, and continuing with numerous others, the CIA applied its so-called enhanced interrogation techniques in combination and in near-stop fashion for days and even weeks at a time on one detainee. Detainees were subjected to the most aggressive techniques immediately stripped naked, diapered, physically struck, and put in various painful stress positions for long periods of time. The actual internal opposition to torture being implemented uh, within the CIA, uh, and, and that was released, 500 and some odd pages are released in the executive summary of the torture report. There are 6,000 pages that are closely guarded secrets that, that the CIA and others are trying to have destroyed uh, because they want to revise history. They, they don't want the record to reflect how they implemented war crimes. These were war crimes, and we knew it at the time. John, so do you think the, you've been outspoken about torture for years now, especially since you um, broke your silence in the interview with, ABC, with Brian Ross at ABC? Do you think this confirmation hearing is an opportunity to have a full reckoning on torture policy? Without a doubt. First, let me say that what Mark Fallon is, is saying is, of course, absolutely correct. There is an opportunity to, to get to the truth where we couldn't get to the truth, even with the release of the torture report in 2014, um, and to, to lay bare exactly what Gina Haspel's role was. Now, that Senate torture report, was not fully declassified. What we got was a heavily redacted version of the executive summary of the torture report. The torture report itself is something like five or 6,000 pages long and has never been released. With that said, the real story there is in the footnotes. And so I would urge all of your listeners to take a look at the, uh, at the Senate torture report, or at least the executive summary of it. Look at the footnotes and where it talks about the chief of base post Abu Zubaydah, apparently, that's Gina Haspel. And those are the questions that she's going to have to answer in the Senate Intelligence Committee. And Rashad, the, the, the publisher uh, of that torture report executive summary is making it available to the public for free right now. They that's want to right. make sure that the public understands what happened in the name of the American people. And, and the effort to redact, hide, uh, and, and destroy any evidence of the torture continues. Black sites have been destroyed. Right now, there's an effort to destroy Camp X-Ray at Guantanamo Bay, and defense counsel for the terrorist suspects are opposing that because they say it's a crime scene where torture occurred. But there's been an ongoing effort to redact and destroy the actual record of what we did in the name of the American people. And Mark, if you want to answer this, um, just 
in your view, how uh, egregious was it as a, of a decision to destroy the so-called torture tapes? Uh, it was an obstruction of justice. It, it was clearly intended to obstruct justice. Uh, the, and it was done in opposition. Jose Rodriguez and apparently his chief of staff, Gina Haspel, made the decision to do this. John Rizzo in his book talked about how the lawyers opposed it, how others, I think it was John Negroponte, one is the, the, uh, uh, the Office of Director of National Intelligence, opposed it. People in the government were saying those tapes must be preserved. In spite of that, decisions were made to destroy the official record of what occurred at those black sites. Today in Washington, it was a scene out of John le Carré, a closed Senate hearing with CIA Director Michael Hayden answering questions about sensitive tapes secretly destroyed by his agency. The videos from 2002 showed two tough interrogations of al-Qaeda leaders. The tapes were destroyed two years ago on the orders of a top CIA official trying to shield the identities of the interrogators. And John, uh, for you, I mean... What is it like still talking about this without any um, action taken by the government, especially the Obama administration, oh. who, oh, who never uh, fully prosecuted or, uh, or investigated the extent of this uh, torture and rendition program? You know, the last thing I wanted in, in my life was to be known as the torture guy. And I feel like I've been talking about torture and nothing but torture for the last 10 plus years. I hate that it's worked out that way, but somebody's got to be talking about these issues. And to tell you the truth, I blame Barack Obama as much as I blame anybody else. Even before I came into office, uh, I was very clear that in the immediate aftermath of 9-11, uh, we did some things that were wrong. We did a whole lot of things that were right, but we tortured some folks. We did some things that were contrary to our values. Because he had the opportunity to prosecute these cases. He had the opportunity to stand in the way of, of promotions for people like Gina Haspel. And he didn't, you know? I mean, John Brennan and Gina Haspel and Jose Rodriguez are all cut from the same mold. They were all at the CIA together in senior positions together. John Brennan, who's supposed to be some, you know, senior statesman now, was George W. Bush's CIA executive director, the number three ranking person in the CIA. He was up to, the, up in, up to his neck in the torture program. Barack Obama had an opportunity when he first became president to look at criminal charges against CIA officers. And I'm not talking about officers in the field who were told by the Justice Department that these measures were illegal, even though I think that they were not. If they really believed they were legal, okay, I can understand that. But what about those officers, as Mark Fallon has pointed out, who murdered people in custody, who murdered people during interrogations? There was nothing in those Justice Department uh, orders that allowed CIA officers to threaten to, to kill detainees' children in front of them. But they did that. They, they said that they would. There was nothing that allowed them to threaten to rape and kill detainees' wives. But they threatened to do that as well. Or to carry out mock executions. And none of these things were, were permitted. They were criminal acts. But Barack Obama elected not to do anything about it. And here we are now, eight years later, nine years later, and we're paying the price. Yeah, to just add to what uh, John said there, um, the, the, the CIA personnel involved went well beyond anything that was even authorized, e even though it was authorized with legal and medical cover. Uh, even if you looked at, at that interpretation, they went well beyond what was authorized there. It was a rogue program ongoing. Uh, and, and actually, what, what, what shocked me 
was how mismanaged the entire program was, how totally ineffective it was, um, and, and counterproductive. And, and what it also did is it denied actual subject matter experts, actual pr professionals, the opportunity to do those interviews and obtain evidence uh, and intelligence from those from those prisoners. And when, when Barack Obama made that decision, uh, he, he made it, uh, and actually he announced it just before his inauguration, about a week before his, his inauguration, when he said, uh, we're going to look forward, not backwards. We're still evaluating how we are going to uh, approach the whole issue of interrogations, detentions, and so forth. Obviously, we're going to be looking at past practices. Uh, and uh, I don't believe that anybody is above the law. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I also have a belief that we need to look forward as, low, as opposed to look, looking backwards. Uh, and we already uh, know, had known how poorly executed the program was. The Senate Armed Service Committee had done uh, an investigation of this. Uh, we, we've seen the aftermath of Abu Ghraib, which was a derivative product uh, of the CIA and the DOD implementation of torture. Uh, and at the time when President Obama said that, uh, Pat Leahy, who was on the Senate Judiciary Committee, had said, then at least have truth commissions, because we have to have some semblance of accountability or we can go back down this road again. And it was absolutely right. And, and we're back down that pathway again. And right now, as we speak, a U.S. citizen has been in custody for six months and, been not, and has been denied being brought before a magistrate or a judge. Six months in custody. The ACLU has filed, uh, has filed suit against that, trying to protect the citizen's rights. Uh, and, and what's yet to be disclosed was how that U.S. citizen has been interrogated and the conditions of his confinement. And Mark, uh, didn't torture somebody's also denied justice because there was the one uh, case of Mohammed Al-Qahtani, who you mentioned, he was allegedly tortured at Guantanamo Bay. And uh, Judge Susan Crawford apparently said that his treatment met the legal definition of torture and therefore his case couldn't be referred to trial. Uh, do you believe that that was a denial of justice just because they went to these extreme measures? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Susan Crawford was appointed the convening authority by George Bush. Uh, and, and currently, right now, we have 41 prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. Ten of them are, are in some semblance of a military commission process, the process that I had been the chief investigator for. Uh, and and, it, and it's, it's just mired in controversy because we still keep trying to hide the manner in which we treated human beings. We keep trying to hide the degradation, the policy of degradation of human beings. Uh, from a country that considered human rights inalienable, uh, we violated those. And, and so every aspect of that process um, is tainted with the stain of torture. Uh, and, and so there's been motion hearings. The, the defense counsel uh, uh, for, for Nashery, who we believe to be the mastermind uh, of the coal, and, and John had mentioned uh, the, the brutal techniques that, that, that he may have been uh, subjected to. His defense counsel recently resigned from the military commission process because they said ethically they could not guarantee that their conversations, their protected conversations, protected by the attorney right privilege, uh, were not being eavesdropped upon by the government. Uh, and there's been open source reporting and there's been court, there's been motion testimony at Guantanamo Bay uh, about eavesdropping devices being discovered in the rooms where cl where clients were meeting 
with the the people, the defendants who were trying were trying to bring to justice in military commissions. So it's a travesty of justice, and it's all to hide the fact that we tortured. All right. So this question uh, for both of you guys, John, uh, if you want to tackle it first. Now we have uh, Haspel's nomination. President Trump is also promoting Mike Pompeo to Secretary of State, and Pompeo himself has previously endorsed torture, uh, though he sort of changed his tune when he was up for confirmation for CIA director. Mark has documented abuses at Guantanamo Bay Prison, uh, yet it's still open, and Trump has pledged to ensure it remains open. So when you take all these together, what does it say about the current administration and American foreign policy more broadly? Oh, I think it says a couple of important things. Number one, you just can't trust the administration. Uh, Donald Trump says one thing, and then his secretary of defense says another, and then Trump flip-flops, and then his chief of staff says another. I mean, the bottom line is that Donald Trump said that he wants to reinstitute waterboarding, quote, and a hell of a lot worse, unquote. I think we should take the man at his word. I'll tell you what. In the Middle East... We have people chopping the heads off Christians. We have people chopping the heads off many other people. We have things that we have never seen before as a group. We have never seen before what's happening right now. The medieval times, I mean, we studied medieval times. Not since medieval times have people seen what's going on. I would bring back waterboarding and I'd bring back a hell of a lot worse than waterboarding. Mr. Trump, thank you. Uh, if he didn't want to reinstitute waterboarding or other torture techniques, he would not have appointed a whole host of pro-torture people to these important positions through government. So that's point one. Point two is I remain profoundly disappointed in the Democrats on Capitol Hill. Ron Wyden cannot carry this entire burden on his shoulders as the only person on the Senate Intelligence Committee to stand up to these guys. You know, and Ron Wyden said just recently, he wishes he could do more, but it, it's a full-time job to just not lose his security clearance. Where are the other Democrats on Capitol Hill? We see very wishy-washy statements coming from the likes of Dianne Feinstein and Mark Warner. In fact, they should be leading the fight against Donald Trump and Gina Haspel and Mike Pompeo, and they're not. Mark? Yeah, the, the, the U.N. Convention Against Torture says that no exceptional circumstances may be invoked to justify torture. And, and there is universal jurisdiction. Uh, and, and so th there are CIA personnel who have been tried in absentia already in Italy. Uh, a friend of mine, a, a former case officer, uh, is actually right now serving time uh, in community service. But, but she, she is stuck away from her family. Uh, Sabrina D'Souza, who served in Italy when I was when I was in Italy as an NCIS special agent, uh, she was tried in absentia for alleged involvement in the in the rendition uh, of a cleric out of Milan, Italy. Uh, and, and so, right now, as we speak, uh, the chief investigator for the International Criminal Court has referred to the prosecutors uh, a case recommending that they move forward on an official investigation uh, uh, for, for war crimes committed in Afghanistan, which will include military personnel and the CIA. Uh, so we're at a point now in our history uh, where the United States, a country founded upon the rule of law based on human rights, 
may be investigated by the International Criminal Court at The Hague for violating those things, for crimes against humanity. It is shameful and it is a stain on our Constitution. Uh, and and, and we, we need to move forward, but we need to move forward by looking backwards and coming to grips with what we have done uh, in a national policy of state-sponsored torture. Right, and uh, we'll definitely keep our eye on that. Uh, I really want to thank you guys for uh, for joining us for an important conversation about a, a still very relevant topic. So thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you and with you, John. Oh, pleasure's mine, Mark. Thank you so much. Dear America. I understand your fears They grew up in a place very different from over here And they've suffered many things that many of us just couldn't bear And to be fair, it's kind of the reason many of them ended up there In Gitmo, brought there fast to live slow Go directly to military jail Don't pass go And many of them shouldn't see freedom It's true for committing violent acts against our red, white, and blue And ever since the days of our initial revolution When we get attacked, it's fair to want to dish out retribution But when the punishment spills outside the constitution We're adding to the problem instead of finding a solution and modern day terrorism did change the game but time honored honoring of human rights remains the same framers made those claims so we can't just go and change the framer we're no better than the ones who flew them planes welcome back we're now joined with laura pitter senior national security council at human rights watch uh, pitter in 2015 authored a report called no more excuses a roadmap to justice for cia torture which, along with laying out possible criminal prosecution, also criticized the United States government for its failure to hold accountable the CIA's post-September 11th torture masterminds. Uh, Laura, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, so the U.S. has famously never prosecuted anyone involved in the torture program. At one point, President Obama plainly said, quote, we tortured some folks. Obviously, that doesn't begin to tell the entire story. So for our listeners, how extensive was the Bush era torture policy and what was their legal justification? The policy was basically they abducted men from around the world, scores of men, kidnapped them basically, and rendered them into U.S. custody and then subjected them to brutal, violent torture methods. Um, and it was it was widespread. The, the actual um, enhanced interrogation program uh, used on detainees was actually just not the biggest part of it. There was also the renditions to other governments where individuals were then tortured by those governments and, and then individuals were sent to different locations around the world. So it was a global program on a wide scale. Right. And the authorization, according to the Senate Intel Committee uh, for Torture, came in 2003. Who authored that justification, legal justification? They came in 2002. They were memos that were written in August in 2002, and they were drafted by John Yu, who was uh, in the Office of Legal Counsel at the White House, and they were signed off at the highest levels of the U.S. government. John Ashcroft, the Attorney General, signed them. Condoleezza Rice approved them. You know, the CIA General Counsel, John Rizzo, was involved, and they authorized the uh, use of 10 in enhanced interrogation techniques on one individual, Abu Zubaydah based on his supposed threat at the time. He was thought to be a senior Al-Qaeda member at the time. Turns out he wasn't even a member of Al-Qaeda that we've learned since. Then they carried out the program starting in August 2002. And I think it's important to note, uh, Abu Zubaydah is still being held at Guantanamo Bay Prison, correct? That's right. The Senate Intelligence Committee report actually documented extensively 
some of the use of these enhanced interrogation techniques on him. Um, he was tortured to such a degree that, you know, he was basically on the verge of, of dying. And they even discussed what to do should he die and wanted to make sure that he would be held in incommunicado for the rest of his life. And he has basically been detained incommunicado since then. Right. And, and uh, in your report, you wrote that the U.S. government, uh, quote, has an obligation under international law to prosecute torture where warranted. What law governs the U.S. to act? So the law in question here is called the torture statute, and it uh, criminalizes when an individual or U.S. official overseas inflicts severe physical or mental pain or suffering on somebody. Uh, what was inflicted as part of the CIA torture program definitely amounted to torture. So that's the operative statute. Just plainly speaking, um, what constitutes torture? Torture is the infliction of severe mental or physical pain or suffering on someone. Um, the U.S. has, for example, prosecuted waterboarding in the past. Waterboarding clearly amounts to torture, but also putting somebody in painful stress positions, depriving them of sleep for days on end. I mean, it was up to seven days, I think, was approved. Clearly amounts to the infliction of severe mental or physical suffering on someone. Right. Also in the report, you concluded that there's, quote, substantial evidence to support the opening of new investigations um, into allegations of criminal offenses. So what would a criminal investigation and prosecution look like? And what's the roadmap? Well, prosecutions could be and should have been brought by the Justice Department for this conduct. And the U.S. didn't do that. The, the inquiry into this conduct only occurred in 2009 uh, after Obama took office. There is, it was an initial investigation already open at that time for the destruction of videotapes that recorded uh, 96 hours of this torture that was mostly of Abu Zubaydah's torture. And um, even the Bush administration decided that that act, the destruction of the tapes, was serious enough that it warranted an inquiry, a criminal investigation. So once Obama was elected, that investigation then moved to Eric Holder, who was the attorney general at the time, and he decided to expand it to include a look into whether or not 101, there were 101 cases that the Justice Department thought was were relevant to this inquiry, to look into whether or not any of those allegations of torture and abuse amounted to a criminal act. And that investigation was led by John Durham. And John Durham supposedly looked into this account and, and looked into these cases. And they determined in two, Justice Department determined in 2011 that there wasn't enough evidence to prosecute in, a, in 99 of those cases. So they closed 99 of them and continued an investigation into two of those where the detainees had died in U.S. custody. A year later, they determined that there wasn't enough investigation to prosecute even those cases where two detainees had died. So that's where the inquiry ended during the Obama administration. Right. And um, a lot of these uh, alleged torture uh, scenarios occurred in black sites, right? So can you explain uh, for people just what uh, went on at these, some of these black sites and some of the techniques that were used on people? So the, the black sites, people were held in long-term 
incommunicado detention, solitary confinement, depending upon which center they were in, uh, they were either in pitch black uh, cells or sometimes cells that were lights were turned on 24 hours during the day. The worst cell was called the dark prison by many of the prisoners. And it was a place in Afghanistan where um, individuals were held in solitary confinement in pitch dark cells that you couldn't even, it was described to me by some of the detainees who were held there as you couldn't even see their your hand in front of your face. Interrogators would come in with lights on their head and take them to other cells where they were waterboarded, subject to severe stress positions, painful stress positions. They were stripped naked, forced to wear diapers, held in unsanitary conditions, you know, forced to urinate and defecate on themselves for days without, you know, their diapers being changed. It was a very, uh, you know, very violent and, and brutal program. And um, as part of your report, you had identified more than a dozen people inside the Bush administration that you believe could be held to account for conspiracy to torture. And that that included uh, Vice President Dick Cheney, President George Bush, uh, Condoleezza Rice, as you mentioned, Gina Haspel, who now is uh, being nominated for CIA director. Uh, she was not explicitly named in your report, um, which was in 2015. Now that you know what you know, would you include her? And or if not, how come? Well, you know, one of the issues with this whole um, nomination of Haspel is we do know that she was uh, a very senior manager, at least, of during the CIA program. But there's been so much classification of evidence related to the CIA program that we don't know specifically what she was involved in. Only two incidents during the course of her career have really come out in some of the public reporting. One is that she was she ran a, a CIA black site in Thailand, it was one of the first sites, where two detainees were held. She arrived after the most aggressive interrogation on Abu Zubaydah, who was held there, about and then October 2000, at the end of October 2002, and was then present physically there when another detainee arrived, Abed al-Nashiri, and he was badly tortured in that site as well, including waterboarding. So we know that she, that she ran that prison from October 2002 until the end of de- December 2002. And then uh, we also know that she was involved in the destruction of videotapes of Abu Zubaydah's torture in 2005, that she was, um, she drafted the memo that authorized the destruction of the tapes. And also we are, it's documented in some former CIA officials books that she was actually a big proponent and driver of the destruction of the tapes and uh, worked with Jose Rodriguez, who was her boss at the time to destroy them. Do you believe that the destruction of the tapes was illegal? Yes. I mean, they are evidence of a, of a crime. It's even Jose Rodriguez, who um, was the one who signed the order for the destruction of the tapes, you know, admits that they contained ugly visuals. But his justification is that he did this in order to prevent the identities of the interrogators from being leaked to the press and then therefore putting them in their safety in jeopardy. But it's clear that there were inquiries going on at the time. The Abu Ghraib um, scandal had already come to the public fore. The uh, ACLU had filed, filed a FOIA request that would have required production of, of the tapes. So there was a lot of pressure 
and public interest in the tapes for evidentiary reasons. And it was inappropriate to destroy them at that particular time. Would you say her role, at least at the One Black site, and her role in destroying the tapes, authoring the the memo, um, disqualifies her for the position that she may be confirmed to? Yes. I mean, even though we don't know exactly what role she played in those years where she was a manager of the program and in the program, uh, but we do know that one, she was oversaw the, the torture of at least one detainee at the, the base in Thailand, likely knew what happened to Abu Zubaydah before she got there, and perhaps was even involved in implementing that torture on him as well. And the destruction of the, the videotapes in 2005, three years later. So that is enough for us to say that she should not be heading an agency as powerful uh, as the CIA, which operates in as much secrecy as it does. You know, it sends a message to elevate someone with this history to such a senior position in the U.S. government that the U.S. doesn't take its obligations under the torture convention and under international law seriously, uh, that someone who was involved to this level is going to be promoted to that level, uh, to such a senior agency, is is really a problem, sends a terrible message that impunity really is the order of the day in the U.S. Right. And and some supporters have come on uh, cable news, and you've seen it written elsewhere, that um, Haspel and possibly others were simply following orders. In No More Excuses, in, in your report, you note that some officers went beyond what the government had authorized. So does that possibly open them up to prosecution for war crimes or other charges? So even just what was authorized is torture. And so, yes, you know, she was potentially, you know, this was signed off at the highest levels of government. But anyone who was involved in, to this degree must have known that this was really problematic. And many people did object to this program and refused to carry it out. So it's a matter of whether or not she should actually be elevated to such a senior position, having been involved in, in this program. And yes, she should be investigated for, for torture, for her role in torture as well. I mean, other senior officials are likely more culpable, but that doesn't absolve her of responsibility completely. Other officials, you know, likely have some responsibility, but she has responsibility as well. And um, by failing to prosecute torture, what kind of message do you think that says to future administrations who may want to, once again, make torture formal government policy? You know, I know Congress has passed laws against certain things, but um, what does this say, you know, Obama, the Obama administration's failure to, to fully prosecute? Yeah, I mean, failure to prosecute under the Obama administration is what really takes us to this position today, because it treats torture not as the crime that it is, but as a policy option. And it needs to be treated as the crime that it is. Putting someone like Gina Haspel in a position at the CIA, who was clearly involved at a operational level in the torture, sends the message that that kind of involvement is going to be rewarded and that the U.S. is basically not taking its obligations seriously. Right. And what's your assessment of Mike Pompeo, who will now be assuming uh, 
confirmation, the next Secretary of State, um, he in the past has been bullish about torture. Uh, he sort of backtracked a little bit in his confirmation for CIA director. Do you think he should be the face of international diplomacy? No. We oppose Pompeo to be head of the CIA, and we rarely oppose candidates for office. We also oppose him to be Secretary of State for similar reasons. It's not just his stance on torture, although that's a big part of it. But with torture, he basically supported or endorsed the prior practices of the past and indicated that if the laws preventing the use of torture restricted CIA officers in the field that he would consider trying to figure out how to revise those. That's really a problematic position to have regarding torture, which is barred by the Geneva Conventions and more than 150 governments who've signed the Convention Against Torture, including the United States. But he also poses problems for other reasons, because he uh, has already expressed a lot of anti-Islamic views and was supportive of uh, an organization called ACT, which is one of the most or the largest anti Muslim organizations in the United States often tries to impose restrictions on building of mosques and, you know, impose bans on Sharia law in various states. So his role in that organization is problematic, uh, and his support for anti-Islamic views are also problematic. And Laura, lastly, uh, for someone who um, you know works for a human rights organization um, and has drafted a report like you did, how disheartening is it that uh, we're still talking about torture and there hasn't been any um, action taken, and instead someone who may possibly have been involved in the program is being elevated? Very disheartening. You know, we were at a point before 9-11 where the prohibition against torture was one of the strongest, firmest principles of international law and was incorporated into U.S. law as well. So the, the fact that we're even discussing whether or not people should be prosecuted for torture is a real, it's really is a setback and is, is very, very frustrating. All right, Laura, thank you for joining us on Newsbeat. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening to this special edition of Newsbeat. This was the first of many web exclusives that we'll be releasing on our site at usnewsbeat.com slash web exclusives. So go there to check those out. And again, we want to thank John Kiriakou, Mark Fallon, and Laura Pitter for joining us today. Uh, if you want to listen to the previous episodes that featured John and Mark, go to usnewsbeat.com slash episodes, and you'll be able to find those there. Oh, and finally, um, as our loyal listeners know, we compensate the artists who appear on each and every Newsbeat episode. So please consider donating to Newsbeat to support our Artists in Residence program. Your contribution is much appreciated and it'll go a long way in helping us continue to pay these talented artists. All right. So talk to you guys next time. Peace.